today, Canada's path forward in the Indo-Pacific region. We'll never have to apologize for defending our national interests and without compromising our values. The Liberal government's long-awaited, much-hyped and already controversial Indo-Pacific strategy is finally public. It's a $2.3 billion roadmap that takes aim at China and boosts Canada's military in the region. We'll break it down with the Defence Minister, Nita Anand, and we'll get the opposition reaction. This is Power Play. Let's get to the players. The current moment demands more of Canada. The region is now looking for us to step up our game. They want Canada at the table to build a better future for citizens on both sides of the Pacific. That was Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie yesterday unveiling the long-awaited federal Indo-Pacific strategy, a policy path that takes aim at China. Canada a Chinese foreign ministry spokesperson says the content is full of bias because they say it makes unfounded accusations about, quote, the so-called China threat. So what exactly is the government going after? Well, the document describes China as an increasingly disruptive global power, but says the strategy says... China's sheer size and influence makes cooperation necessary to address some of the world's existential pressures, adding China's econ economy offers significant opportunities for Canadian exporters. Canada continues to say this strategy is shaped by a, quote, realistic and clear-eyed assessment of today's China, end quote. But what does that actually mean? The two countries conduct billions of dollars worth of trade each year. So can we really afford to freeze out the world's second largest economy? It's important to note, this isn't just an anti-China policy document. It's a $2.3 billion strategy focused on security, trade and closer ties with other countries, including India. So what path will this chart forward for our country? Let's find out. Joining me now is Defence Minister Anita Anand. Welcome, Minister. Thank you for being here. I wanted to say to you first here, in response to the Indo-Pacific strategy, a spokesperson from the Chinese Foreign Ministry said that China is gravely concerned and strongly opposes the so-called China threat that they say is laid out in your uh, new strategy. Now, the spokesperson also warns against interference in domestic issues such as Taiwan, Xinjiang and Hong Kong. What is your response to those comments? Well, first and foremost, the Indo-Pacific strategy lays out Canada's approach as a Pacific nation to the Indo-Pacific region in a multitude of areas, including uh, economic, trade, military, defense, security, immigration, diplomacy. So this is an across-the-board strategy, and it's not directed at one country in particular, but rather engages the region as a whole so that Canadian interests can be furthered in the fastest-growing region in the world. Having said that, in direct response to your question, we will challenge China where we need to and we will cooperate with China when we must. We are concerned about increased Chinese military activity, especially in the area of Taiwan. And so we do need to have a structured and strong approach in the Indo-Pacific strategy, which is exactly what we're doing. I'll get to the military aspect in just a moment, but in this strategy, our government says, quote, 
China's economy offers significant opportunities for Canadian explore, exporters, but your government has also sent warnings to business community to account for a growing risk of arbitrary applications of Chinese laws. How do you reconcile these two things? As I said, Mike, the Indo-Pacific is the fastest growing region of the world, and we know that China is an economic power. As a result, we need to make sure that we are engaging with economies around the world. We need to ensure we have those links for uh, Canadian businesses and innovators. At the same time, we need to be eyes wide open on China. And that is the message that we will continue to deliver to Canadians and Canadian businesses as well. Now, on to the uh, military side of it, and there's an increased military presence in this strategy in the Indo-Pacific region with more military assets. What concretely does that look like, considering that yesterday on our CTV show Question Period, Chief of the Defense Staff, Wayne Eyre, said that it would be a challenge to launch another larger-scale mission in the longer term. Do we have the resources to spare or not? We do have the resources. At the same time, we are going to continue to build the Canadian military and reconstitute, retain and recruit additional members of the Canadian Armed Forces. In terms of the Indo-Pacific strategy and the military components itself, we need to uh, recognize that there are four pillars, the first of which is an additional naval deployment and an additional frigate that will be sent to the region. We already have two frigates there and they participate in Operation Projection with our allies. Uh, they also uh, sailed through the Taiwan Strait. And another frigate is going to enhance Canada's presence and ensure that we are continuing to contribute to peace and stability in the Indo-Pacific. In addition, we're going to undertake joint exercises with our allies and partners in the region. We're going to engage in additional military capacity building in the area of training, for example, Example, and women, peace and security, very important for Canadian uh, values and what we are trying to do in terms of building an inclusive military right here at home, in fact. And then the final pillar is in the area of cyber security and cyber capacity. And we'll be enhancing our presence in the region in that capacity with our allies. So it's a full-fledged uh, approach in terms of defense and security. And as I said, we will make sure we're focused on reconstitution here at home while addressing the growing Indo-Pacific uh, strategy on the other hand. Despite you calling it a full-fledged approach, some observers would contend it's as much as we can manage right now, but still nothing compared to international partners and their presence in that region. How do you respond to that kind of criticism? Well, what's really important, Mike, is we are a Pacific country, and we are taking an approach that enhances our presence militarily in the region. And when... Shangri-La dialogue in June in Singapore, I heard from our partners and allies in the region that they want to see more of Canada. And so that's exactly what is happening under this strategy, not only in the area of military, but also in the area of mil immigration, we are strengthening uh, the immigration efficiency by opening additional offices in Chandigarh, in New Delhi, for example. We are also enhancing our trade capacity in that area by enhancing trade missions, ensuring that we've got a trade office, 
gateway to the Indo-Pacific, for example, and making sure we have an agreement with India in the area of trade. So as I said, this is an across-the-board strategy, and we have to take it as its whole part to make sure that we are doing whatever we can in the Indo-Pacific as a Pacific country and in the region that is the fastest growing region in the world. Defense Minister Anita Anand, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much for making the time today. Thank you so much, Mike. Take care. So that's the government's policy pitch. What do the opposition parties think of it? Michael Chong is the conservative foreign affairs critic and Lindsay Matheson is the NDP deputy house leader. Thank you both for joining us. Mr. Chong, start with you. This has been long awaited. Did it live up to the expectations? Well, the government took years to develop this Indo-Pacific strategy, so we're going to take some time, a bit of time as an opposition yeah. to study it and to... The due and, time. Yeah, and to, and to come forward with the detailed analysis. But on first glance, it's too late uh, as a result, Canada is on the outside looking in. Uh, we're playing catch-up to our allies with the release of this strategy, many of whom came forward with plans like this years ago. For example, we're not part of coalition defense and security agreements in the region, such as the AUKUS agreement, which is an agreement between Australia, the United States, and the United Kingdom. Uh, we're not part of the quadrilateral security dialogue, which is an a security agreement, uh, collaboration uh, between Australia, India, Japan, and the United States, which is an effort to counter Beijing's threats in the region. And the document makes no reference of those two coalition agreements. And so, in some ways, this Indo-Pacific strategy is too little too late in terms of Canada playing a role in the region. Um, so, uh, that's my first reaction to it. The other is that it's going to rely on implementation. What the government has done in the last several days is an announcement of an Indo-Pacific strategy. And the, the details will be in its implementation and its execution. Um, the government hasn't had a good track record of implementing policies in the Indo-Pacific region. For example, it's been Canadian law for years now that... Uh, products produced uh, from Xinjiang that have been produced with weaker forced labor mm -hmm. are banned from entering Canada, yet right. not a single shipment has been stopped by this government in the last couple of years compared to other allies that have stopped hundreds of these shipments. So we'll, it remains to be seen whether or not uh, this will actually, in fact, be implemented as a policy. Ms. Madison, I want to bring you in on that in terms of the implementation, but also Minister Anand is talking about challenging China when needed, but cooperation also when needed. What do you think about that? Well, I, I'll agree with, with Michael in terms of the fact that, that this is too late. Um, and uh, ultimately, you know, we hear a lot of great things from this government. They say all the right words. And yet in that implementation, they lack. They are consistently lacking. Um, and in terms of uh, where we need to go from here, uh, yes, absolutely, we need to uh, work with our partners. We need to be on the same, on, the, on similar tracks. Um, but Ultimately, uh, Canadians know that we are not going to be able to um, compete in that same way as China. They are far too big, and yet it is with those partners around the world that we that we need to work together on trade, on defense, and and on the things that we that that best suit Canadian needs, of course. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it, it is it is late. Uh, this should have been announced months ago, if not when the prime minister was actually in the region at the time. Yeah, Mr. Chong, the strategy has been welcomed with open arms by the U.S. Uh, the ambassador to Canada, David Cohen, 
uh, saying, you know, that he thinks it's a good one. Do you think that it's critical to have the U.S.'s support on this? Well, I think it's critical not only to have the U.S. support, but the support of our allies. And the fact is they're not prepared to invite us into the Australian-United Kingdom-U.S. agreement on submarine cooperation. And I note that the Indo-Pacific strategy is silent on submarine cooperation. Um, the military proponents of the, the military components of the strategy call, as the minister Anita Anand mentioned, for a single frigate. The fact is, it doesn't mention anything about the need for resupply capacity. The fact is, Canada has no resupply capacity in the region, which means that we have to rely on other navies and be attached to other navies for prolonged deployments in the Indo-Pacific region. And so a lot of details to questions remain unanswered. Um, and the government, I think, is going to have to uh, up its game when it comes to implementation. Ms. Matson, I want to ask you uh, about that as well. I mean, this plan includes uh, $230 million to expand Canadian intelligence ability to work in the Indo-Pacific region. Is, is that enough resources in your mind? It's hard to get into, and, and again, as Michael had said, I mean, we have to look at the at the strategy and, and, and take our time with it to ensure that, that we're on the, the right page and, and providing mm -hmm. the solid uh, information that we think needs to get through to the government as well. However, um, if you look at overall in terms of where Canadians are at, uh, you had mentioned um, uh, topics and, and thoughts coming out of uh, what Jane Eyre, uh, General Wayne Eyre said. Mm -hmm. um, it's... It's clear that we're falling behind. Uh, we need to, in fact, focus on our own retention, recruitment. Uh, there is a lot that's being uh, focused in terms of um, military aid to, to civil authority. Um, and in terms of what our own troops need here on the ground, that has to come first and foremost so that they're safe. I would also argue that we have not fulfilled our, our role in terms of peacekeeping and the, and the agreements that we have made in terms of that. We cannot keep up. Um, and so the government really has to look at where we find that balance. Again, it is through a lot of those partnerships. And I think that we can make a, 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 um, the effectiveness that we need to in the world stage through NATO, through mm -hmm. NORAD, through those allyships. Um, but uh, we have that specific role to play. And, and I'll be interested to look at this, uh, this document further to ensure that that's accomplished. Go ahead, Mr. Trump. Yeah, uh, it remains, to, I'll, I'll say this as well. It remains to be seen whether or not this, in fact, is the government's indo Pacific strategy, mm -hmm. the one re they released on Sunday. Minister, de the Deputy Prime Minister gave a major foreign policy speech in Washington on October 11th, a month ago, in which she said, uh, she outlined her, what many are calling the Freeland Doctrine about right. friendshoring. Um, Minister Jolie recently said she didn't agree with the idea of doctrines, and the document has no mention of friendshoring. Minister Champagne, the industry minister in Washington recently, in a very public address, talked about decoupling Canada's economy from China. Uh, senior government sources anonymously close to Minister Jolie said they didn't agree with the idea of decoupling, and the document doesn't make any mention of decoupling Canada's economy from China. Yeah. So it remains to be seen whether or not this, in fact, is the government's Indo-Pacific strategy or whether the government will continue to contradict itself on matters related to China. On that, I've only got 20 seconds. Well, again, they, they, they know how to say a lot of great words, but it's the follow-through, and we need right. to ensure that we're on them um, as uh, an opposition party to, to make sure that they get uh, through what they need to get through. Lindsay Matheson. Michael Chong, thank you so much for waiting around, and thank you so much for your insight on this. I appreciate it. Still to come, there are large protests in China. We'll move on to this story, actually, condemning that country's zero-COVID policy.
But China credits those tough lockdowns and social distancing policies with keeping its COVID death toll down. It has come at a cost of long periods of confinement and damage to the world's second biggest economy. Police in Shanghai used pepper spray to drive away demonstrators and dozens were detained in police sweeps. Still to come on Power Play, Canada is officially out of the running at the World Cup, but this country still has its eyes on Qatar over the human rights concerns in the host country. International Development Minister Harjit Sajjan has returned from his visit to the World Cup and he joins us here next on Power Play. Canada may be officially knocked out of the World Cup, but the eyes of this country continue to be focused on Qatar and reports of human rights abuses in the Gulf state. The Middle Eastern country's mistreatment of migrant workers and anti-LGBTQ2 policies took center stage in the lead-up to the kickoff. But what happens once the games are done and the spotlight moves on from Qatar? Opposition parties had called for a diplomatic boycott of the tournament. But International Development Minister Harjit Sajjan was in Qatar for Canada's first game and a number of other events. So did he raise human rights issues in meetings with the Qatari government? And what more can our government to do as the Canadian squad plays its last game this week? Let's find out. Joining me right now is International Development Minister Harjit Sajjan. Welcome, Minister. Thank you so much for taking the time. Great, appreciate you. you being here. Canada has been very vocal on the world stage on LGBTQ2 rights right across the globe. Um, we'd seen you had a number of photo ops last week in Qatar. In those times when there were microphones available, uh, present and in front of the cameras, you didn't speak that forcefully um, at that time. Why was that? No, first of all, uh, one, we are very vocal uh, around, around the world. In fact, actually, when the opportunity did come up, whether I was speaking on a panel uh, that was actually quite uh, uh, public or uh, other meetings, uh, we openly uh, talked about uh, when it comes to human rights, labor rights, and LGBTQ rights as well. So we don't shy away um, uh, from this. In fact, actually, uh, uh, you may not watch uh, CBC News, but I actually gave an interview and told them I'll be raising these issues um, with the foreign minister when I was going to have that meeting. I wanted to ask you also about um, the other meetings that you had with government officials, International Labour Organization in Qatar. What progress did you make for workers' rights and human rights in those meetings? I'm glad you asked the questions. First of all, it's easy to just send a message, right? Uh, you have a meeting, uh, you send a message, you get a check in the box done, right? And then you tweet out about it. Mm -hmm. For us in Canada, what we want to see is progress for the people uh, on human rights. So this is one of the reasons why, regardless of country that we travel to, uh, we meet independently with other organizations. So for example, in uh, Qatar, uh, the International Labour Organization, where we had a very frank conversation and a conversation that they welcomed on uh, migrant workers' uh, rights and what is taking place. One of the things that they, um, um, questions that I had, and they also wanted it, which is, is this going to continue after the World Cup? Mm -hmm. And uh, the question I got to ask very directly to the, uh, the foreign minister, and the answer is is yes. We also spoke with um, um, uh, Canadian business folks um, there. 
um, and to see what practices uh, they're doing when it comes to uh, gender rights and had a really good conversation in that forum also when it comes to to education so we one is it's not just about having a meeting in private um, we attended very public events where we spoke openly about it and some obviously you know the cameras are not there at those times but mm -hmm. for us this is not about just sending a message it's about it's about showing progress progress is is being made but what we want to see is that progress uh, to continue so how do we continue that progress long so that, after the spotlight's gone, after so, the World Cup is gone? No, I'm glad you mentioned that. So this is one of the key things. One is actually Qatar also wanted to thank them for the work that they did in helping Canada to bring Afghans home uh, during the evacuation mm -hmm. uh, that, that took place. So uh, women's education, girls' education in Afghanistan is also very important, something that we raised and something that they're going to assist us with. And one thing that, so we're going to be following up uh, with um, um, our Jackie O'Neill, who's our Women, Peace and Security Ambassador, will be conducting a follow-up visit on some of the discussions that, that we have had. Um, and there's some other work that our embassy has been doing to support uh, human rights. And so, by the way, and this is something that the Qataris actually appreciate the work that Canada is, right. uh, is actually uh, supporting. So, um, so before I left for, for my trip, I actually met with, uh, I spoke with some of the LGBT uh, leadership within the country to ask them, what messages do you want me, me to send, right? And so that's the key. One of the key things that I always get is, how, what can we do to actually have, have progress. Where there's violence in countries, um, how do we stop that violence? Where there's legislation, how do we get that legislation uh, reversed? So each country is going to be uh, very different and because of the kind of the relationship that we have around the world, they know that Canada is going to be raising these things. Uh, what we want to do is look at what the progress is being made, look at it independently, but then look at a pathway forward and we'll be following up on this. And you're talking about sometimes a message just isn't enough, but there was a pretty big message in one photo that was taken. You were in a box watching the game with Belgium's foreign affairs minister. She had a one love armband on. Yeah. You did not. Can you explain what happened so in that? One of the things is, you know, I appreciate every country has to decide how they want to move forward on push, pushing rights. One of the very th things that's very important for me is having these conversations directly with the leadership and to have that progress. That's why one of the key things I did was actually to have a discussion with the LGBTQ uh, uh, leadership before I left. Um, the message that they had for me is making sure that we actually continue the, the, the progress, and that's exactly what's taking place. So, for example, if anybody wants to question my loyalty when it comes to uh, human rights, especially to the LGBT community, my wife and I have been taking our, our kids to pride parades way before we got into politics. But you understand what, the symbolism and how, well, how it looked. No, uh, of course, you know, that, that, that's how it looks. But you know what? One thing that I want to focus on is how do we help people on the ground. Symbolism is, is, is fine, right? But one thing we want to do is, how are we moving things forward? I can assure you, the three days that I spent there, the meetings that I had, we sent a very strong message. And plus, I actually had my conservative colleague um, uh, with me as well. For us, whether it's, it's Qatar or any place around, around the world, it's not about just what message that you send. What we want to do is, how can we be constructive to help that country move human rights uh, is issues forward? And that's one of the things that we will be following up with. I wanted to ask you, the next World Cup is here in Canada, the U.S. and in Mexico. What is Canada doing to make, to make sure that that message is sent when we are welcoming the world, that it will be one of the most open, uh, not only transparent, but open to all when people come to all three countries? So actually we did an event, uh, it was myself, Secretary Blinken and the Foreign Minister from Mexico, 
uh, where Qatar uh, has an organization that where they support um, kids from around the world, and they brought in uh, vulnerable kids uh, uh, who are impoverished um, and, and using soccer as a way to bring people uh, together. So we had all these kids from around the world, and I spoke with uh, the Canadian students mm -hmm. about this. So what we want to do is, that's a, that's a perfect opportunity for us in Canada to showcase uh, our, our very strong message of uh, human rights and how we have people from all over the world, regardless of your religion, uh, your sexual or orientation, of who you are or your beliefs, um, that not only we value human rights because we represent, uh, Canada represents mm -hmm. pretty much a uh, piece of the world. I would say is we're all immigrants to this land unless you're indigenous uh, and to, to these lands. So it's a great opportunity uh, for us to, to showcase uh, uh, this and demonstrate how we can come together and uh, be prosperous. And we'll all be looking forward to that. International Development Minister Harjit Sajjan, thanks so much for making the time today. We appreciate it. Great, thank you. Still with soccer, the men's team does have one more shot at making history by winning their first ever World Cup game. They'll be facing off against Morocco on Thursday. And let's not forget about the women's national soccer team. They do have a gold medal under the belt, and they're 234 days away from their quest to win the Women's World Cup in Melbourne, Australia. Well, that's your Power Play Day in politics. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. We'll be right back here tomorrow. Until then... Have a great night, everyone.